Welcome to Getting In, a college coach conversation hosted by Elizabeth Heaton. There are so many challenges involved in the college process, including choosing the right college, planning a payment strategy, creating a high school plan, and much more. The team of experts from College Coach are here to help you find some, if not all, of the answers you need. Now, here is your host, Elizabeth Heaton. Hi, everyone. Welcome to today's episode of Getting In a College Coach Conversation. I'm Sally Ganga of College Coach. I'm really excited um, about my guest for my first and second um, segments today. I'll be speaking with Courtney Jolie Loudermilk of the NITIO, she'll have to connect, correct my pronunciation, program at Boston University Center for Psychiatric Rehabilitation. Um, it's an intensive one semester program supporting young adults who live with a mental health condition. Um, and her experience with this program, I think, also makes her a great person to discuss emotional wellness in college bound high school students and in college students. Um, you know, I, I, uh, I think that this is an issue that affects so many people. Students are reporting higher rates of depression and anxiety than ever before. So I hope this is really something that parents really take seriously. Remember, a student doesn't have to have an official diagnosis of depression or anxiety to struggle once they get to college. Um, so anyway, um, Courtney, I wanted to get going with you on this. Um, why don't you, but just to start, why don't you tell us more about your background and what makes you an expert on this subject? Absolutely. Thank you so much for having me, Sally. I'm really glad to connect with you and your listeners. Um, my current position, at the, as you mentioned, at the Center for Psychiatric Rehabilitation at Boston University is directing the college mental health programs. My background is actually in special education, and the early on in my career, feels like a lifetime ago, I started teaching um, high school students with language-based learning disabilities, and maybe even before that, um, working, you know, as, a, as an instructor in different programs, as a teacher in different educational programs. I'm a true believer in the power of education to understand how much students um, young adults in particular, really identify as culturally appropriate as students. Um, and so when we talk about wellness, when we talk about, and I love what you said, you don't need an official diagnosis to struggle with a transition or, or to hit bumps in the, on the road of life, um, using education as a tool and using familiar um, environmental cues and, and using um, peers, same-age peers, to connect and, and learn is really powerful. So um, some six years ago, I started working at the Center for Psychiatric Rehabilitation. As you mentioned, the NATEO program was kind of our hallmark program that I was hired to design and get off the ground. And it's been a real success helping students who have an interruption to post-secondary school find their footing, um, regain some agency over why they're going back to school, and really develop the skills and supports to do that successfully. Um, that's kind of you to call me an expert. It feels like, um, you know, we. what I guess makes me an expert is we are really good listeners. Uh, we listen very well to students and what they're looking for, universities and organizations and what they're doing and what's missing, and we find where programming doesn't exist. We develop it um, and respond really quickly when students say, yes, this is working, or no, it's not. Mm-hmm. Okay, so I mean, I guess what I'm, I'm, I definitely want to hear more specifics about the Detail program, but I was hoping to dive in, like maybe, and I'm kind of guessing you have a lot of, um, like, understanding of this from your students. Like, what would have helped them to kind of know in high school? What could parents have done, you know, to help them? Um, sort of build readiness to go off to college and obviously not academic readiness. I mean, that's my expertise. I can tell students what they need to do, what classes they need to take, extracurriculars, but I'm not an expert. But, you know, what do they need to do to be emotionally ready to make this transition or what might help them um, make this transition? What can parents do? That's a, I'm so happy you asked. That's a great question. So, We're talking about collegiate readiness, which um, here at the center in terms of the work that we do, the programming we offer to help students build the skills and supports is is revolves around collegiate resilience. Um, And if you really, that translates very well to readiness. It's just, you know, kind of rewinding the clock a little bit before students step foot onto campus or think about 
higher education. Um, families play a role in collegiate readiness, absolutely. I think what it comes down to, if we, again, use the framework of collegiate resilience, um, I would say really kind of four areas of promoting healthy problem solving, so deciding how to respond to new and different experiences, um, feelings, challenges, and needs. And, and students don't really have to imagine, you know, if you think of high school students probably is where, what we're thinking about. They don't have to imagine further from their immediate environments. They're pressured, high, you know, achieving environments to, to find ways to problem solve. Um, family's role in space for it to happen, um, for to invite conversations about how students are responding to the stress and sometimes distress they experience around thinking about college and certainly getting ready for college and absolutely managing their wellness as high school students and all that they have on their plates. Another area is really about emotional agility and, and families and, and parents, caregivers absolutely play a role in helping students develop their emotional agility. When you think about um, you know, college for young adults being or any student being a roller coaster. And the role of, of family supports and parents is kind of staying on the ground and knowing that the difficult class, a challenging roommate situation, a breakup, all of these things are probably going to happen. We can probably imagine that they'll happen. And how do they how does a student respond to that? And really how does a family member respond to the student in that, in that moment, in that experience? And how do they invite acknowledgement of their feelings, um, acknowledgement of how they are maybe responding in health or non-health promoting ways, um, and, and strategizing with them? Um, that's a, it's really important aspect, actually, of college readiness is just kind of understanding how... Um, how to navigate those bumps along the way that are very, can be expected. Um, another area that I'd say the third important area would be around realistic optimism and acknowledging negative realities and choices and consequences. Again, this is something that can very easily start in high school uh, where some of the negative realities are that students might not get all of the grades that they hope to be getting or that as, you know, college applications are coming back, they're not getting into their top choice. Again, you know, you can see probably how they're interconnected and and the emotional response students have and how families support that. Um, And certainly choices and consequences, you know, the choice may be that you didn't set an alarm and you were late for school or you arrived to the field without your cleats and now you're not going to play and how families respond to that in ways that allow students to experience natural consequences of I am late and now I might have a, a trouble in another consequence. I might be in trouble and, and I'm not playing the game, which might mean other things. Um, but letting that happen and letting those natural consequences um, letting students experience them and, and sit with that discomfort in a supportive way, of course, but not in a way to step in and take away from that experience and that learning opportunity. And the last piece is advocacy and how students are acknowledging and understanding their needs, um, how students are experiencing their, acknowledging their vulnerabilities and asking for help when they need it. Um, and that's big or small, it's academic or non-academic, but needing something um, and again, I think of the everyone has a, a responsibility. Everyone has a role in this college, um, in this readiness process down this path. Uh, families, in particular, I think around advocacy is allowing again students space to ask for help for the stumbling to happen and for them to um, to learn how to ask for help. Rather, again, if you think of what happens when you step in and um, and a student doesn't have an opportunity to practice that advocacy, what can happen uh, can be really detrimental. I think when we allow for space for students to say, I need, I need help with this, I don't understand it, it's, uh, it's growth. We're giving them places to practice the language that they will need to use in life outside of the home um, and certainly in college and beyond. Mm-hmm. So let's let's try. I think all this is great, and I love that there's sort of like these three main areas. Um, but I was wondering if let's try and ground it in some anecdotes. Like, 
one of the things that I was thinking about um, as I listened to you talk, and this is from years ago, not even in Connecticut where I am now, um, I worked with a student who um, uh, basically had an assured place. Like he, it was pretty clear that he was going to get into a particular college, um, but then he he got a D. Um, he got a D in a class. And so the college was like, I'm sorry, you know, we don't take students with D's. Um, so he had been admitted actually. And then they withdrew his admission based on that D and they did say to him, look, if you go to a community college and you rehabilitate your record, you know, you get like X, Y, Z GPA, we'll be very interested in getting an application from you again. But, um, but his mother was so terribly upset, you know, she went to me and um, she was like, you know, I need you to write a letter, et cetera. And I said, well, I just don't know what I'm going to write in the letter. He got a D in his physics class. He knew he shouldn't get a D in the physics class. He and I even had a whole discussion about the fact that he shouldn't be getting a D in this physics class, that it could mean that his admission to this particular college was going to be withdrawn, this college that he'd wanted to go to his whole life. And... Um, and the, the mother was like, no, we, we have to get him in. And I said, this is a pretty soft landing, given that he'll probably get in if he gets good grades. And he made a decision. I mean, he told me, he said, look, this is my last chance to play football. And I want to play football and I want to work really hard on it. And I want to play as well as I can. And I said, well, OK, so you're making a choice. Like I basically said to the mother, your son made a choice. He chose football mm. over getting into mm-hmm. this college. Um, so that was kind of a long-winded way of saying that I just told the mom, look, there's A, I don't think there's anything I can do anyway, but B, I really think your son needs to absorb this particular message. And and I know that there are parents listening to this who think that, I mean, she thought it was terrible. There were compl- She made complaints about me, you know, but I just felt like he made a choice and he needed to understand the consequences of that choice. And honestly, the consequences weren't that dire because if he went to a community college, he was then, and got decent grades, he was then going to be able to get into this school. It was, you know, I was very confident of that. So this was a temporary setback, but I think an important one for him to have. You know, this was a son, a kid from a very privileged background, not that you have to be privileged to have parents snow plowing your way through life. But um, so anyway, that just kind of brought that to mind, that kind of, like, I felt like he needed that lesson, but his mother story. really didn't want yeah. him to have that lesson. So kind of what are your thoughts about that? That is a really powerful anecdote. And I'm really glad the way you painted the picture about um, and, and how you did is, you know, kind of as you remember, it sounds like a, a parent or family member leading the way, which, you know, again, everything that you described hits on all of the dimensions that that we just looked at. So it was a, a parent emotional response that drove what happened next. Um, and, and it didn't sound so much like the students as if maybe, you know, they they could see that this was a natural consequence of, of actions they took or misactions. And, and now there needs to be a, a, a different route to getting to their college of choice. Um, it is really common for families to step in. Um, there's a, a great piece that I was listening to on, um, I'll just leave that to the side, but there are just, it's kind of, you really just turn on the radio and there's a lot to be discussed. There's a lot to learn. There's a lot to read about how students are experiencing this in the, the situation that the picture you painted. I hope listeners really understand that that is a very common experience for um, for families to feel like they have been students and really not seeing how um, Root is acceptable, but um, I guess yeah. Just to go back to your question about why, what what to do with this? Um, how do the parents sit with the discomfort, the disappointment of this, and and not own something that's not theirs? This is a young adult, like you said, series of choices that landed them in a very awful, really situation to have your admission withdrawn. That feels really drastic. And it's a, rea- a reality, a negative reality that this is what happened. It doesn't maybe feel commensurate with the actions he took. Um, and so, yeah, I guess a little, even just back to problem solving and how families who might find themselves, hopefully not, but in the situation where their student is, is 
in distress or they're feeling distress and taking a step back and problem solving. What is our plan B and how, how is it not me jumping in to get a letter to get you back into school, into a school, but maybe it's problem solving this, this very, you know, conditional reapplication path um, that the school presented. That is a really, yeah, that's an interesting story. I've never heard the storyline before Sally, but um, you know, the response, the family's response and maybe the student's lacking response is not something um, is something rather that I I do hear often. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, I think, um, you know, this is the kind of thing that families don't talk about, you know, like nobody's going to sort of acknowledge. And obviously, like I said, this was years ago, and I wouldn't say it if I thought there was any way anyone could identify the student. But it was just really interesting. You know, I mean, I, I know that we all kind of have our moments where we're like, back in my day, you know, and I just thought my mother just would have been like, well, you're going to community college, you know, and it was so interesting for mm-hmm. me to talk to a parent who felt like that this was something that her son couldn't bear to face and that him facing a consequence like this just didn't make any sense. You know, she was, she was really upset about it. And, um, and I thought, well, you can be upset about the the upset, your upset should be about the choices that your son has made, not about the choice that the college has made because the college makes it very clear that you're expected to maintain your some level of grades, which in his case meant A's and B's. So, um, so I don't know. I mean, I think I, I bring this up because as somebody who does the work that I do, I, I see this kind of snowplow thing and not empowering the student by saying, okay, you're upset. You get to be really, really upset and once you're done with that, then we are going to brainstorm together and I'm going to help you figure things out, but I'm not going to just wave a magic wand and fix it. Right, right. I also hear, too, another part to it is just kind of thinking about how families and parents are managing their expectations going into, um, for their students to go into college um, and, and checking that, whatever that might be. Um, so, you know, I, I expect you to graduate in, in four years is pretty common. I expect you'll go to a very competitive school. I expect you'll perform well, the highest, um, and whatever, honestly, whatever that might be for a, a parent, a family, and have open, candid conversations about it. I have expectations that you will, um, you know, thrive and make lots of social, healthy connections. I have expectations that you will, you know, call me once a week, that you will, um, you know, and, and really whatever those expectations are, talk, starting the conversation now about it and and practicing, putting to practice some of those um, responsibilities, setting those up now. Um, you know, I have an expectation that you'll do the advocacy, that you'll be the primary communicator with your support now and moving forward and allowing space for that to happen. It sounds like there was there was not problem solving and, and a, the parent in the situation flew into mode, you know, just kind of like get it done mode. And that really, you're, as you're describing it, disenfranchises a student. It takes away their agency. Um, and more importantly, it's a lost opportunity for learning maybe. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Okay. Well, I'm glad you agreed with me because it's a story I've often thought about. Um, I mean, actually, um, I will say that I got a lot of support from the school as well. And um, but it is something that that has stuck with me. So. Um, all right. Well, we're going to go to break now. Thanks so much, Courtney. Thank you. Okay. So and so. All right. And we'll be we'll be coming back to Courtney after the break. I just want to make sure everybody knows that. But before that, I just uh, want to tell you about StoryWorth. Um, StoryWorth is a really original gift idea that allows you to connect with family. I'm actually continually surprised by the richness of my own family's experience, and I'm sure that the rest of you feel the same way. And, you know, these stories get lost as people pass on. I think about all the stories now that I wish I could have, um, you know, I could wish I could have talked to my grandfather about some of uh, some of the things that he remembered from his childhood, you know, and during the Depression, etc. Um, the other thing that makes StoryWorth really great is it works well, even if you have people, you have family all over the country. Like, for example, I have family um, 
you know, I have a father in Atlanta. I have an uncle in Oregon. My brother lives in Paris. Even as I live here in Connecticut, we all live all over the place. And StoryWorth makes it possible to exchange these stories with everyone. So, all right. So what is it exactly? It's an online service that helps your loved ones tell the story of their lives. Every week, StoryWorth emails your family member different story prompts, questions you've never thought to ask, like what have been some of your life's greatest surprises and what's one of the riskiest things you've ever done. And then after one year, StoryWorth will compile every answered question and photo you choose to include into a beautiful keepsake book that is shipped uh, for free. Um, And, you know, one of the things that's interesting is there's going to be family stories uncovered that you maybe never expected. So anyway, preserve and pass on your memories with StoryWorth. Uh, sign up today by going to storyworth.com slash college coach. That's storyworth.com slash college coach. And you'll get $20 off your first purchase. So again, that's storyworth.com slash college coach for $20 off that first purchase. All right. Thanks, everyone. Uh, We'll be going to break now, and when we come back, Courtney, Jolie, Loudermilk, and I will be discussing mental health wellness for the high school and the college student. Actually, I think we'll be transitioning to college students now. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com. If you're a parent of a high school student, you've probably heard a lot of scary stories about college admissions, about the growing number of applicants, the shrinking number of spots, about how even valedictorians are being turned away. For families of hopeful college students, it's impossible not to worry. But at College Coach, we take the worry out. Our advisors are former senior admissions and college finance officers from all over the country, so they can give you advice that nobody else can about what classes to take, how to prepare for standardized tests, what options are available to pay for college, and most importantly, what admissions officers are looking for when they read an application. We've got more than 15 years of experience and a track record that's helped every single student get into college, most into their top choice schools. So make the decision to come work with College Coach and start your child down the road to the decision that really matters, the one in the envelope that says, yes. Visit www.getintocollege.com forward slash getting dash in. Have you found the beauty inside of you? Join Bonnie Bonadeo each week for Beauty Inside and Out. We'll explain how beauty plays a part in everybody's lives. Our guests are makeup artists, hairdressers, and doctors. But we'll also feature holistic and wellness specialists and spiritual advisors. You can find that beauty inside and express it to its fullest on the outside. Tune in to Beauty Inside and Out every Thursday at 2 p.m. Pacific Time, 5 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Now you don't have to stay linked to your desktop or laptop. Take Voice America on the go and listen anywhere. Get our mobile app for iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android at the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com. You are listening to Getting In, a College Coach Conversation. To reach Elizabeth Heaton or her guest today, please call in to 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. Or send an email to gettingin.voiceamerica at gmail.com. Now, back to the show. Okay, welcome back, everyone. As I mentioned before our break, um, I'm now going to be talking with Courtney about, I'd actually really like to transition to kind of college student mental health wellness. So, um, Courtney, does that sound good? Or did you have any kind of wrap-up things to think about Um that parents should think about when they're, you know, with their high school students before they send them off to college? Actually, it seems like it'll serve both purposes. You know, we can talk about college readiness and maybe how um, how things can pan out in school and, and how mental health wellness might change or what supports look like in college, both in and um, during the interruptions. Okay, that sounds perfect. Like, why, yeah, why don't we talk about that? Like, what do kind of college students face and what sort of um, 
you know, what are some of the challenges of that transition and what are some resources that they can access? I mean, it really is everyone's greatest hope and, and you know, again, going back to expectations, hope and expectation that you, um, that college is a really pleasant, um, you know, sort of the best years of your life experience um, that, it, you know, happens in four or sometimes five years for a five-year program, but that it happens really on time. Um, again, going back to expectation of it's just going it to happen sequentially in a really linear way. Um, and that is not a reality because life has a, its own plan and it, it can get in the way of that clean trajectory. Um, additionally, we know that mental, uh, the onset of a mental health condition really kind of coincides with this transition period into college um, so that sometimes that can be a barrier or really precipitate maybe an interruption or a leave of absence. Talking about it now that this is, um, that it happens, that we, you know, we hope it, you have a, a healthy experience in your your college years. Um, we hope that it's that it comes with a, an appropriate amount of challenge. You know, it's not too easy, but that it's not too onerous or difficult either. Um, and that we're full of hope for you. Um, and if it does happen, let's have a plan B. Let's know about some resources um, that you might access, you know, when you go to campus to make it easy, um, when you, if you have an interruption that you need to take a leave of absence, you, you know that that's a safe and okay plan. Um, I think what it can feel like to students is being put up against, you know, being stuck between a, a rock and a hard place or in a corner where um, you feel like you have to be in school and thriving or else nothing. And um, to go back to it, you know, for listeners who's listening to the first segment, there, it really sounded like an all or nothing thinking that drove a family's experience to respond um, to a school's decision to withdraw a student. Um, really, it, it serves us well to be good problem solvers, but also, you know, good planners ahead of time. If there's an interruption, how will we handle this? Um, and I think that's a unique perspective that I can bring to the table in that the program that I direct here is for students who've had an interruption to school. So, um, you know, are the only, as far as I know, campus-based program um, at Boston University for any student, not just BU students, who have had an interruption to school. Um, it's a semester-long program, as you mentioned earlier, Sally, that provides students with a full simulation of a college, a traditional, you know, semester-long college experience where they're meant to be in classes and building skills. They're surrounded by same-age peers, some who are alumni of the program who help them navigate um, life, social experiences, emotional experiences, and their academic responsibilities that they're asked to manage. We put pressure on so that they really do feel like this is, um, they're, they're maintaining and building their skills. Um, and really only in those conditions can you have an emotional experience to a setback, to a missed class, an absence, a missed um, assignment, and really practice showing up again and, and moving forward on your own fruition. You know, we do have family programming as well to address some of the things that we talked about in the first segment, how families, what their responsibilities and roles can be, um, and maybe how to help promote their students' well-being and agency and their choices um, and experience those natural consequences we talked about. Mm -hmm. I love this program, too, because it isn't like, I mean, when I've, I've um, yeah, I've seen students have to come home and it feels like such a failure to them to have to, like, leave school and come home and stay in their room while their friends are away to, at college. And it feels to me like this, like you said, it's not going to feel like the same kind of failure. It's a break from what they've been doing. And, um, but they're still in a college kind of environment. Uh, it's in a very exciting place. I mean, nobody could call Boston boring. And, um, and yet they're getting the supports that they need. And they're still away from home in a way which I, I think that's kind of what you were talking about when you're talking about building skills as well, right? Yeah, building um, skills in that, you know, we have, again, we're thinking of all of the things that come up in a traditional college semester. 
come up in this program and the skills that they're building is really how they're responding differently to the experiences of very often, honestly, a missed class or a missed assignment, um, you know, and, and when it's not really just right or, or perfect or well done or exactly what they hoped for, that sitting with that disappointment can be incredibly challenging. Um, at the same time, it's really important to, to acknowledge the reality that students are sometimes managing a new or, or maybe even exacerbated mental health condition and learning how to live well with that. Uh, that's a big responsibility, and I often feel like they should get college credit for the life experiences they're navigating that are new and really challenging, and and many people don't have to navigate, and sometimes their same-age peers don't have to navigate. Um, so it really is, yes, very structured opportunities to build collegiate resilience, right? Some of the same kind of areas that we talked about when we talked about readiness, problem-solving, emotional agility, how they're responding to um, distress differently and, um, and, and advocating for help and identifying those key resources and, and utilizing them. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, so how, does, how is this program, I mean, obviously there's some differences here, but to a certain degree students at like any college can access some support services. It just sounds like I think with Natio though, it's going to be more formalized, right? Like how, how exactly does it work in a way that's going to be different from like a typical college student? So I think what you're saying is what, how is our program kind of more comprehensive than if a mm-hmm. student was in college as a full-time student and accessing, for example, like group therapy on campus. Um, right. I think that there, those, those supports on campus really serve, a beautiful purpose. They're usually to help those students who might be struggling or challenged by something to stay in school and thrive. Um, and so Niteo meets a real gap um, in services for young adults, a real need in that these students have had an interruption and need to leave school. So being a full-time student isn't a good idea right now or isn't an option right now. So they're building readiness so that they can return to school and, and achieve their goal of higher education, which, you know, in a we're thinking bigger picture really does shift the trajectory away from um, disability. It, it's a real door opener, we know, to have a college degree. Um, and it, you know, almost all of the time is in line with these students' goals anyway. It's what they want. And that's really what psychiatric rehabilitation is, giving students space, individual space, to assume the role of their choice. And is very uncomfortable, to your point, shaming and um, embarrassing and uncomfortable for students to come home from school. It is for families as well. It's a family experience. And so, you know, something like a Natale program um, really kind of allows for that narrative to change. Students get to say that they're taking, you know, collegiate readiness or resilience classes at Boston University um, and that really changes their experience, and again, how they how they move forward with that, how they rebuild their self efficacy and self confidence, and go back to school. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I think it sounds too like just the program is really structured, so every student is going to be who's part of it is going to be required to be doing these regular check ins, required to be in group therapy, whereas a student on a traditional, in a kind of traditional just college program, they have to step out and add, they have to go seek out these services, which they might not be doing otherwise. Is that, I mean, it seems like that's a big part of the difference. Yeah. I mean, I guess, so the students who are, who are in the tail program are, are part of a really structured program in and of itself that does involve a lot of oversight with our staff. We're really hands-on and close-knit team. It involves coaching, regular, you know, individualized coaching to help students navigate, um, and just to a, a point you made earlier, navigate their choice if it's something they want to seek out treatment to enhance, you know, their skills. And, um, and that really happens outside of the pur- our purview, but we do spend time directing students that way. I think the oversight piece really is just opportunity. You know, I think in school, maybe faculty, staff can notice things are going on for a student and maybe not feel skilled or really know how to open up a a discussion about how they're concerned about what they're seeing. Our job is to do that. You know, I'm concerned you haven't showed up. 
and what are we going to do differently about it? So the, the setup, the foundation that we have here allows us to interface with student supports, um, certainly as they see fit and, you know, under their direction, but in ways that colleges are not built for, really. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, I think, I think colleges are doing more and more all the time, but it's, you know, it's not a professor's primary job to intervene if there seems to be emotional issues, you know? So, um, I don't I kind of, I want to push back on that, but yeah, I think, okay, you know, it, please it really, do actually go yeah. ahead. Yeah. I think it, it really is. I think it's a, that the thinking that I'm here just to, you know, bring you through, you know, impart wisdom and, and, and lecture, um, teach and, and educate in the formal sense. There, there are really, I can see a, a real need for everyone on campus, all faculty and all staff in all positions to have a responsibility to notice, um, and find ways to support students. Um, it, I, I think that's where, I think it's a, a little bit of a, a tricky point for, faculty and staff who don't have training as a, you know, as a clinician, as a doctor, and, and, and that's okay. The, you don't need that to respond to a student who's in distress or, or whose mood you've noticed change or who seems, you know, they're sleeping too much or too little or stop showing up. It's really just a human response that I think will generate a whole culture, a campus culture of caring and noticing. Um, I do think that's part of creating well-being for students um, and really great modeling. This is what you do when someone's part of your community and you notice something that seems concerning to you. I, I'm not skilled to treat you for it, but I am generous enough with my time to find find a way to let you know that I notice and I care. Mm-hmm. Okay. All right. So thank you for that. I think that's great to hear, actually. Now, we only have like one minute, but our uh, when we had talked previously, you mentioned a couple resources that families might find helpful if, if they're kind of worried about their student or just want to become more well-versed, like the National Institute of Mental Health, or there's a NOMA manual. So maybe just give us a rundown of one or two resources students might use or families might use. Yeah, I think, you know, to go back to the earlier segment and thinking about collegiate readiness, uh, starting the conversation, which is a NAMI, National Alliance on Mental Illness, um, really kind of brief guide to starting a conversation about mental health wellness is a beautiful tool for families to have and discuss now. Certainly, if your students live with a mental health condition or this has been an area of challenge, something that they're, they're live with um, and are learning to live well in this environment, helping them understand how they can continue to live well in a different environment. It's absolutely applicable to families who, for whom that's not the case either. Um, that is a beautiful conversation starter um, and really well done. That's my recommendation. Um, the Jed Foundation has some really great resources as well about getting ready um, and starting conversations about, you know, planning for any interruption that might happen for um, how to really just navigate this transition in a smooth health promoting way. Those are my two, yeah, big suggestions. Okay. All right. Listen, thank you so much. I so much appreciate you coming on and for all your insights. I just couldn't have been more helpful. Thank you so much, Sally. All right, so now uh, we're going to take a a short break, but first I want to talk about Audible.com. Audible has the world's largest selection of audiobooks and audio entertainment, including Audible Originals, which is something I really just found out about. Um, These are stories created exclusively for audio, um, including documentaries, exclusive audiobooks, and scripted shows that you can't hear anywhere else. Um, I was just looking around the originals and saw John Cena's The 64th Man, which looks hilarious and very likely to appeal to a college student. Good thing to, you know, give them for while they're exercising or walking around campus. Uh, with the convenient Audible app, you can listen anytime, anywhere, on any device, mobile, Alexa, Bluetooth. Um, this has been great for me. I can't tell you how much cleaner my house is when I can distract myself by listening to an Audible book. 
Um, I also want to talk about the fact that there are some books that really should be listened to more so than read. Uh, my example of that is the David Sedaris books. He narrates them himself, and I actually think you miss something if you just read his work instead of listening to him. Um, in addition, Audible members get more than ever before. Every month you can choose one audiobook regardless of price, as well as two Audible originals. Um, you have unlimited access to exclusive guided fitness and meditation programs, and you can sign up for free updates from the New York Times, the Wall Street Journal, the Washington Post. Um, so start your 30-day trial and choose one audiobook plus two Audible originals absolutely free. Visit audible.com slash college coach or text college coach one word to 500-500. So again, visit audible.com slash college coach or text college coach to 500-500. All right. Thanks so much. And we'll talk, talk to you guys in a few minutes. Stimulating talk gets those synapses in the brain inspired really fast. All the time. The number one internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com If you're a parent of a high school student, you've probably heard a lot of scary stories about college admissions, about the growing number of applicants, the shrinking number of spots, about how even valedictorians are being turned away. For families of hopeful college students, it's impossible not to worry. But at College Coach, we take the worry out. Our advisors are former senior admissions and college finance officers from all over the country, so they can give you advice that nobody else can about what classes to take, how to prepare for standardized tests, what options are available to pay for college, and most importantly, what admissions officers are looking for when they read an application. We've got more than 15 years of experience and a track record that's helped every single student get into college, most into their top choice schools. So make the decision to come work with College Coach and start your child down the road to the decision that really matters, the one in the envelope that says yes. Visit www.getintocollege.com forward slash getting dash in. Are you ready for a broad look at everything to do with the world of sports? If so, tune in to the Mike Abadir Show. It's a unique perspective to the connections between sports and business. Host Mike Abadir has negotiated numerous deals in the NFL. Along with co-host Gino Bacola, Mike will bring his expertise, discussion, and some terrific guests to the airwaves. Listen live for the Mike Abadir Show every Thursday at 4 p.m. Pacific Time, 7 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Have you had a chance to check out Voice America's online magazine and blog? If you love our hosts and shows, check out articles that give an even deeper perspective. Plus topics about health and fitness, movie reviews, philosophy, business tips and tactics, spirituality, positive thought, current events, and even more about your favorite host. It's just a click away at blog.voiceamerica.com. That's blog.voiceamerica.com. The Voice America Press Blog. All access, all the time. Streaming live. The leader in Internet talk radio. VoiceAmerica.com. are listening to Getting In, a College Coach Conversation. To reach Elizabeth Heaton or her guest today, please call in to 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. Or send an email to gettingin.voiceamerica at gmail.com. Now, back to the show. Welcome back, everyone. I'm very happy to have Tova Tolman here. Tova is a college coach um, colleague of mine and formerly worked at Barnard, Fordham, Montclair State. So she's got a lot of great experience to help us out with our topic today, which is we are now in the final countdown to regular decision application submission. So she's going to help us with staying organized and on track. Hi, Tova. Hi, Sally. You can't say final countdown and not expect me to really want to start singing it's the final countdown, but I'm going to spare listeners and not. Uh I'm very regretful now that I use those phrasing because it's in my head now too. <laughs> so, <laughs> all right. Playing in the background when we hang up. 
All right. So it seems like the biggest issue is honestly organization. You know, students can really like just get completely overwhelmed with everything they need to get done. And so like I always want students to kind of figure out how to bite off one little piece at a time. So what are what's your uh, what are your kind of concrete recommendations about this? Yeah, you're right. Organization is a big part of it. I mean, you named three schools I worked at. It doesn't help that all schools ask for a slightly different thing at a slightly different time, and they maybe call the same thing by two different names. So the best advice I have for staying organized is creating an actual spreadsheet, Uh, whether it's an Excel or Google Docs or Google Sheets, whatever works best for you. But a row for every school you're applying to, and then a whole bunch of headers. And I can name a bunch. Maybe, Sally, you have some ideas of some extras to add, and you might have some of your own that you can think of at home. But number one, the very first header after the name of the school, of course, should be the deadline. What deadline am I applying to? Some schools are January 1, some are January 15, some are something else, and you want to make sure you have the right deadline for the right school. Number two, what platform are they on? Are they on Common App? Are they on the Coalition App? Do they have their own institutional applications? Something else that's maybe state-specific. And then after that, I'd say it varies based on sort of the the other requirements that you're going to see. Some might have supplemental essay questions. You might want a column for that. Some might have testing requirements. And maybe you want a column for the date that you actually sent your SAT or ACT scores. Or maybe a separate column just to notate whether or not they actually require you to send official scores, as some schools might accept self-reported scores a column for maybe recommendation letters, a column for transcript requests. Did I a date to put down? Did I actually ask my guidance counselor to send the transcript? Um, and then I think my favorite column would be the date I sent the application. What date did I actually hit submit? Because, Sally, you'd be surprised. Maybe not. Maybe you experience this at your school or not. But every year we'd get at least two or three phone calls from kids who would say, I never got a decision. He'd say, well, you never applied. Well, I'm not sure what to do about that. It's important to not actually forget to hit submit and actually apply to said school. Because it's a real Mm -hmm. shame if you do all this work and then forget to hit submit. Absolutely. And actually, um, I mean, I had a student, I don't know that the Common App works this way anymore, but a few years ago, I had a student who hit submit on the supplements, but forgot to submit the Common App itself for some of our colleges. that is so. Yeah. Like not a happy moment when she discovered that. Luckily, she discovered it early enough that it was fixable. And, you know, they believed her that she had it done on time because she had done the supplement. I mean, usually if you were going to be behind on something, it would be the supplement, not the common application itself. You know, so uh, so it actually like everything worked out. Her college counselor called like every, you know, and the, the and, you know, she got into her first choice school. So everything was beautiful. But boy, did she. And I and her parents experienced some stress in the moment, (laughs) certainly them a lot more than I did, because I spent a lot of time just saying, I really think the colleges are going to hear you, that this was an error Mm -hmm. and not like you trying to work around the system. So, um, but yes, make sure it's actually been submitted. (laughs) Yes, but that makes me think another good column to add, uh, this is a good place to keep track of it then, is the login and password info that the college provides for how you can track your application. Most schools are going to have some sort of online tracking process where you can go on and see what have they received. Now, one caveat about that is I beg of, of every listener to give the school at least 10 business days for something to show up on that online tracking list uh, from after you hit submit. Even if it's submitted electronically, even if it's an automatic download, there's still a lot of operations cleanup that happens, matching records uh, and, and cleaning those pieces. And um, I beg of you do not call the school a day later and say, I submitted it last night, but I don't see it on my online tracking. Mm-hmm. true for teacher rec letters and things like that. But had your student in that particular case uh, track their application online, if this was in a time where you could do such things, they would see, huh, they still haven't received my application. Or better yet, if you have not received from the school such an email saying, here's how you can track your application, thanks for submitting it, that might be an indication that they haven't gotten it yet, as it's such a con- such common practice these days for schools to provide such tracking information. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, again, wait a few days. I mean, double check the common application, make sure those little green check marks are there. But then wait a few days and if you like 10 days and if you haven't heard anything at that point, I think it is very fair to call the school or, you know, maybe even your counselor can double check on it for you if you have a, you know, a counselor that has time for that, which they don't all. So, um <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I was a counselor at a school where my counseling load, I was so lucky, I just had um, 40 students. So that was something that I could follow up on. But I'm, you know, some of the public schools, it's 500 students per counselor. So maybe follow up on this yourself. Um, all right. Any, any other things? I mean, you know, this might be a time to look into interview, interview options if you Mm -hmm. haven't already. Absolutely. And then that could be another column added. Do they offer interviews? How do I go about requesting one? What's the date that I requested it? And if they do offer them, is there some sort of process as to who gets one? Is there a difference between an alumni interview in my neighborhood versus on campus? And keeping track of all of that on this sort of organization deadlines requirement type spreadsheet. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, one last tip that I want to give people, and then I'll definitely we have time for a last tip from you, is um, try and submit a few days early. Um, I mean, I think the college, the um, Common App actually does quite a good job. So this is no shade on the Common App, but it I have seen it slow down the last couple of days, especially like if you're submitting right around the deadline, the last day. Um, you know, the server gets overwhelmed, right? It's like, so you you will be doing yourself a favor as a student if you submit it. I say submit it a week early or two weeks early, honestly, because that way if something goes wrong, there's plenty of time to fix it. But at a minimum, submit it two days ahead so that you miss, you know, just again, the, the, the common app server or these servers just getting completely overwhelmed. Yeah. Um, darn it, that was mine because it's so important. <laughs> but it's true. Uh, and I'll offer the other side of that. One, from just the purely logistical standpoint, you're right. And how you can imagine a scenario where completely unexpectedly your home internet goes down just as you're, you have two hours left and you're panicking because it's now 10 p.m. You can't go anywhere to go get some internet, but, oh, shoot, home isn't working. Now what do I do? You don't want to put yourself in that situation. But more importantly is that if we're talking about a January 1 deadline and you have off for winter break, is this how you want to be spending your week between Christmas and New Year's? Panicking, scrambling to get the last minutes done. It's now, is, is this going to air? When is this airing? To, uh, before Thanksgiving, right after Thanksgiving? When no, is after December 5th. December 5th. Okay. From the time you listen to this, you're going to have still at least three, four more weeks to get everything done. Why wait? Try for two weeks from now, two weeks from when you hear this to aim as your deadline. Um, and you'll be much happier and you'll, you'll thank us afterwards because you'll hit submit calmly as opposed to <laughs> covered in panic sweat. Mm-hmm. All right. So we have to go now. Thank you so much, Tova. My pleasure, Sally. Take care. All right. Now I want to tell you about our show next week. One of the topics will be busting common myths in admissions, and you know there are so many of them. So do be sure to turn to tune in. You'll also be hearing about Colleges That Change Lives, a group of excellent small liberal arts and sciences colleges around the country. I'm very fond of this as my college, Reed College, is one of them. And also the very important topic of how to have the talk of what you as a family can afford to pay for college. And finally, I want to remind you that you don't have to listen to our shows live. Every show is accessible 24-7 on the Voice America website, and you can also download every show for free on iTunes. You can look through our archives for shows with topics like tips and tricks from a UPenn alumna interviewer. And if you like our show, be sure to rate us on iTunes. It takes only a moment of your time and is absolutely free. And last, don't forget, we're here every Thursday at 4 p.m. Eastern, 1 p.m. Pacific, so check us out. Thank you for tuning in to Getting In, a College Coach Conversation, hosted by Elizabeth Heaton. Please join us again next Thursday at 1 p.m. Pacific Time, 4 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Have a good week.